Welcome to Family Business with Pradeep Sangha. I'm your host, and I'm also a family business owner and a family enterprise advisor. And this show is for anybody who is in a family business or a professional who works with family businesses and helps them succeed. So stay tuned and join us on this journey. So I am super excited to have these two lovely ladies back on our show because the last one was pretty interesting. It's one of our highest rated episodes. I think a lot of people, a lot of guys out there are interested in prenups or what happens when you don't have one or how to bring it up. And so we have Anna Marie here and Minnie on our second episode talking about prenups, relationships, how to build stronger trust, how to have financial security, just how to have a better relationship overall. So welcome ladies uh, back to our show. Thank you. Yeah. So Anna Marie, just maybe if you can give a quick 60 second uh, summary of who you are, what you do for someone who may not have listened to the previous episode that we did. Sure. Uh, my name is Anna Marie Musson. I am a family law lawyer based primarily out of uh, Toronto and uh, the Waterloo region. And my practice is really helping uh, high net worth individuals and professionals, um, not only in divorce, but in helping them with prenups and postnups like we're talking about today. Okay, awesome. And Minnie, how about yourself? Um, hi, thank you for having me, Pradeep. I'm uh, Minnie Sharma. I'm a registered psychotherapist. Uh, so I do a lot of couples counseling, and I also help out with uh, divorce as um, a family professional. So I help uh, couples or parents communicate, uh, draft um, parenting plans. Um, and of course, I do the couples counseling, which is much more preventative and um, so I'm really excited to be here today because I think the theme is how do we prevent divorce <laughs> instead of encourage it. Yeah, so I think um, you two wonderful ladies make a powerful duo. You have someone on the legal side and someone on the emotional side, the psychology aspect of it. And between the two of you, I'm sure you've seen a lot. So we're going to have a really great conversation around the conversation about financial security, prenups, but mainly around the postnuptial side. We're going to talk about what happens when you get into a relationship, not having a, an agreement in place, and then possibly thinking about it, maybe not having the guts to bring it up, but thinking about it or not even knowing that you have a need to have one. And so this is where I'm going to lead on you, Anna-Marie, to talk about, okay, what are what should people be looking for? What should guys look for in terms of why they need a, a postnup? Um, well, I think first of all, it's um, very interesting to me, but a lot of people don't even realize that there is such a thing as a postnup. And so, what it essentially is is it's basically practically identical document to the prenup agreement. It's just signed after you're married, or at some point during the course of your marriage, or even cohabitation. Because I don't want to leave out couples who are cohabitating. Um, you can also do a, a postnup in a cohabitation uh, format as well. And so um, a lot of people don't realize that. They think that if they haven't signed this agreement before they got married, then the ship has sailed and there's nothing they can do. That's not necessarily the case. 
And so when we're really sort of counseling um, clients or, or being a little bit on our educational tour on who needs a post-snap, um, some sort of common threads and common themes uh, we see on the divorce side of things, I thought would be very helpful because I'm helping couples who are um, getting divorced in some of the um, unfair situations they're dealing with, that wouldn't it be a great idea to teach people um, who are either getting married or are in a happy relationship with some of those pitfalls might look like. So when they're doing their financial planning and they're doing um, looking towards their future goals, we can help them avoid some of these landmines if possible. So that's really sort of some of the idea about um, post-snaps and ways you can use it as another tool in your financial toolkit, not only to help you reach your financial goals, but your partner's or your um, spouse's financial goals. And so some of those pitfalls, shall I jump right into some of them per deep and, and give you a little bit of a list of what they look like? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's important because when you're talking about post up you know one of the things that pops up into my mind is the the prenup conversation that word prenup is kind of considered a, a dirty word when people think about it right it, it just it gives even when i think about it it kind of gives me a little bit of a irky feeling but then you have this whole different concept or it's the same concept but it's like post up that to me is like another step forward because now you're married and you're asking for an agreement do you find that there's uh, even more angst when it comes to postnups versus prenups, or is it the same amount or is it less? Um, I'd almost say it's a little bit less in some circumstances. And I think you're going to find that response a bit surprising. But when I, which I'll walk you through some of the situations or the most common situations I find with clients who are inquiring about postnups, it kind of makes sense. The, the couple is usually on the same page when they talk about um, some of these issues. So one of the big issues is inheritances. So if one spouse or one partner is um, up to receive an inheritance or has received an inheritance, many people don't realize that there are some exclusions in law. So if um, without a prenup and, and just how the law applies, if you receive an inheritance and you don't do anything with it in terms of what we call commingling, so you keep it in your own name, in its own separate investment vehicle or whatever that looks like, in general, you'll get credit back in the unlikely event of divorce for the value of the inheritance. However, people live lives. People don't just like to stick their inheritance in a bank account in their own name and off they go. They want to use and enjoy that money. So they may use it towards purchasing properties, purchasing a cottage, things like that. And they want to put their spouse or partner on title. Well, the second you commingle it, that exclusion in law is gone. And so what we like to do is offer people the freedom to be able to use the inheritance in any way they, they would like, but to also in law get that credit back in the event of divorce. And so I find many couples are very much on the same page when it comes to inheritances, because um, in general, people don't feel, spouses don't feel entitled to another person's inheritance from their parents or their grandparents or whatever. They really do feel like that is their spouses and they should be able to do what they want with it. Can I just so, jump in there? Because there's, sure. there's two things that pop up. One is, is that true? Do people really you know, have that respect for their, the work that their in-laws did, uh, or like, is that, is that what you're seeing for the majority of cases? Because I've heard some pretty nasty stories out there of individuals. And I think it's more when people leave 
a relationship in a, on a nasty note, on a very nasty note, that someone wants to be have revenge. They're totally resentful. It's all about revenge. It's all about hurting the other person. Maybe this goes to many as well. Many, I'm sure you've seen some of that as well. So when it comes to inheritance, what you're saying is a lot of people are respectful of that. Yes. And they recognize, you know what, that is my, my spouses or, or my partners. And I understand why that really wouldn't be included in um, equalization or property division until the lawyers get involved. Uh, because once the lawyer says, well, wait a minute, you know what? There is actually no exclusion for that. It's been commingled. You get all of the money. Well, let's rock and roll. Oh, right. So, so what I find is from a human perspective, people recognize, but the second that the lawyer tells them, well, wait a minute, this money's up for grabs now, takes on a bit of a different twist. So this is an area where we want to use the post not right, to have clarity on this issue. So, so that couples can use the money, enjoy the money. Um, and in the unlikely event that they divorce or separate, well, we still have the clarity. So it um, helps the, the, the couple be able to, like we said, use the money to buy a vacation home or a cottage or do something fun with it. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't leave the partner who received the inheritance in a place where they feel like they're going to be taken advantage of or what if something happens. Can I just ask a second question on that? What about the growth on the inheritance? Because I've heard some mixed comments about that. That it, if it, is, is that part of the inheritance or is that three game basically? Sometimes it, it's a bit more complicated and it depends on, on what the, the will of the deceased person says. It, it's got some um, legal um, tentacles to that issue. Uh, so again, why we want to pro-snap is so we can have clarity. The inheritance, any increase in the value of the inheritance, regardless of how this inheritance is going to be used, uh, we put all of that in the post-snap. So there is absolute clarity in the event this couple divorces and separate, we know exactly what's going to happen to that money. Got it. Okay. And I'm just going to throw it over to you, Minnie. Have you seen any uh, of these examples where some a couple has inheritance involved and it becomes nasty? Or do you see that it's pretty, pretty respectful, as Anna Marie was saying? Yeah, I would say I've seen both. And I think, Pujib, you were kind of on the right path where it depends on the state of the marriage. So if they're, if it's highly conflictual already and an inheritance situation comes in, uh, then that often is, like you said, there, there's some vindictiveness or whatever, like, you know what, like, I'm going to take that too. Um, but if you're at a fairly, uh, you know, good place or healthy place in your relationship or in your marriage, I find that people are, like Anna-Marie was saying, very understanding about that. Like, I don't really have any right to that. Your parents built that worked really hard um, to achieve that. So I would say it really depends on the dynamics of the marriage and where you are. So this is where therapy is great and having a couple of therapists is really important to work through some of that stuff, especially if you're going to bring this topic up, you want to be at a place where there's some level of emotional safety and people feel um, like they're more on solid ground. If there's turbulence, um, then you might get more of that, um, the, you know, the adversarial kind of, you know, I'm going to take whatever I can. It's too bad for you. <laughs> so, so it's important to work on the marriage first, underlying all of this, right? Yeah. So a, a few thousand dollars in, in couples therapy or counseling can save you hundreds, if not millions of dollars. Yes. Later on. yes. So that's that's Absolutely. a smart move there. Um, so I'm going to throw it back at you, Adam Marie. What's, that's the first element, right? That you were saying out of the four. What's What's the next one? 
Um, there was also, um, sorry, um, there's also an element of um, living inheritances. So I did want to just briefly mention this before I sort of jump into the next uh, landmine category. But um, oftentimes we'll find parents are actually gifting um, large amounts of money to their um, children while they're still alive. So we want to make sure that that living inheritance is also quite protected, very similarly to the um, more traditional inheritance as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just wanted to throw that out there too. It's happening more and more often now. Parents want to see their children enjoying, um, you know, their hard work, et cetera. And so they're giving these gifts much sooner. And we need to make sure that we, again, have the clarity on what those gifts are, what happens when we commingle, and what happens to the value and the increased value. So I just wanted to throw that one out there as well, Pradeep. Mm, yeah, that's important. That's something that we have structured um, in our family. Because when mm -hmm. my dad passed away, that's one of the things that we took a look at in terms of the properties. And it was more from a tax perspective as well. Um, not just the inheritance part, but the tax part. But that's one of the, of the things that I remember our lawyer saying is that, and I didn't fully understand it, I think maybe because of the timing, um, and, and actually, this is a question for you. Do you find that when it comes to, like for me, this conversation around having a post-nup, we never had a prenup, came up when my father passed mm -hmm. uh, because the lawyer was like, okay, this is something you should probably take a look at. Um, so do you find that that happens when someone passes away? Is that a frequent time or a trigger event for someone to think about a post-nup as well? Yes. And again, we want to be very mindful of the, the person's mindset and emotional state at that point in time. Um, you know, people, families who are grieving, it's a, it can be a very difficult time to be making some of these sort of longer term financial decisions. Um, so we kind of need to balance it a little bit. But yes, that is what we would call sort of a triggering event. What we might do is do an initial consultation, et cetera. And then we might put it on hold for the next month, two months, three months. Let's let the family sort of, you know, regroup a little bit, clear their minds a little bit, and then we come back to, to having the, the discussion. Because the last thing we want to do is be having some of these post-nup is an emotional discussion already when everyone's um, emotions are, are heightened because they're in the grieving process as well. So we, we kind of want to be mindful of that. Yeah, I was just, I want to share a personal story. It's kind of funny because um, at that time it wasn't funny. Obviously my dad passed away, but I remember sitting in the lawyer's office and with my brother and um, my wife and my sister-in-law, my mom, she's like, well, what about my daughter-in-laws? How are we going to include them in there? My brother and I are looking at each other like, what the heck is my mom saying? Like, what's, what, what is she Did she just, <laughs> you know, this is traumatic. I understand, but what's going on? Not that we, but we were like, is that normal? Like my mom was just like, I want to make sure that my daughter-in-laws are taken care of as well. Uh, but it was just a funny conversation for us to have at that time uh, because their emotions, going back to what you were saying, emotions were so high. I don't think anybody really, like going back, I don't fully remember that time either. So I think there's, there's. I'm not going to say people weren't thinking right. I'm just saying emotions can have an impact in terms of what state people are in when talking about these types of challenges. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I was going to add too um, that sometimes it can work um, better in the sense that there's a level of compassion and empathy 
Um, and, and people understand the reason why. If you just bring it up, you know, out of the blue, a lot of spouses are like, what's going on? What's in their head? Are, are we getting divorced? But when there's the death in the family, I think there's a little bit more of an understanding of why this, this is coming up at this time. And the hope is that pe- people are, are going to be a little bit more empathetic to the whole situation and understand why you're asking for it at that time. Yeah, so you can use it to your advantage a little bit, I guess. Okay, back to you, Anna-Marie. Um, so another one of our sort of uh, landmine situations is um, when people have very lucrative pensions. Um, a lot of people don't realize that a pension is, in fact, considered property and asset in family law. Uh, these values of pensions can be very high, um, upwards of a million dollars. And um, my clients getting divorced are shocked to learn that they have to give or take, provide, figure out a way to buy, either buy out that pension. So it'd be a half a million dollars they have to come up with. Sometimes they're walking away from um, their entire equity in the house, giving it to the other person to buy out this pension. Um, Sometimes it means they're transferring a portion of their pension to their spouse, which now means that they have to work a number of additional years they weren't expecting in retirement. And so um, pensions would be another area where you would like to have a conversation with your spouse about, okay, what would happen to the pension? How are we going to make sure we're both taken care of in retirement? Because I think as we talked about in our our last um, session, the goal here is not to make an agreement where one person gets, you know, all the the family money and net worth and the other person walks away destitute. The idea here is to come up with something that is, um, although I hate using the word fair because fair is such a subjective term, but something that is um, goal oriented. So it's going to help both people in the relationship, um, but where it's Perhaps the division of the pension isn't exactly 50-50. Maybe the entire pension's excluded. Maybe we're going to divide 10% of the pension. Whatever it is, we're going to have a conversation about our financial goals, including our retirement goals, and how we're both going to reach those goals, which frankly, in my opinion, should also include a discussion about the what-ifs in life, which include what if we separate, and frankly, what if we one of us passes away, how are we still going to be okay? Yeah, interesting. How about the how about the the next one? The next one is a, a big one. Um, this is the business owners, business owners, medical professionals, the people who have professional corporations. It can be accountants, lawyers, the whole bit. Um, it comes up all the time. Um, this is what I most often hear from my clients who own businesses or professional corporations are self-employed or anything of the sort. Um, My business isn't worth anything because it's me. I'm the business. So without me, the business doesn't have any value. So it's only whatever um, billings, let's say I do or whatever, um, you know, type of work I do in in my business, but there's no inherent value. It's, It's not considered property or an asset. And the reality of the situation is that's completely wrong. These businesses have a lot of value. And I can tell you, I had a a person on the other side of one of my recent cases um, told my client, who was the wife, uh, no, my my business doesn't have any value. We're just going to divide the house and, and off we go. Well, lo and behold, we start doing a little bit of diving into what the value of this business looks like. And it's a $2 million business. So my client, the wife and the, um, her spouse, you know, we're sort of under the impression that this 
business wasn't worth much. Well, I get the joy of telling my client, well, wait a minute. No, this is, you have a million dollar interest in this business. And so um, a few of the issues we have when dividing businesses up is, okay, how is he going to pay my client that million dollars, right? How are you going to fund that in a business? Are you going to take, is the business going to take on loans to pay it out? Uh, does the business have to sell assets to pay it out? So there's all sorts of really important discussions that business owners need to have. Um, but from my perspective, a marriage contract is critical for any type of business owner because having to come up with and divide half the value of your business um, on divorce separation, it can have catastrophic results for the business. And so, um, again, we talk about having these agreements in place where we want something that's um, fair, that's going to help both of them reach their goals. Um, but at the same time, where we've protected the business, especially critical if you have partners in a business, because they will want to know, okay, what would happen in the, the what if scenarios? Um, what if one of the partners divorces? Can this business continue on? How would that um, portion be funded, etc.? So it's um, one of the big ones. And from my perspective, if you are starting a business, if you have a business, it's an absolute must. Yeah, it's really interesting because I've seen uh, businesses fall apart and be crippled as a result of this. It's simple. If a business has to fork out half of its assets, for example, that would wipe out 95% of businesses right there when we're talking about small, medium or private enterprises owned by an individual. Um, it's interesting because we do business valuations. And sometimes we, when we do business valuations, it's based on uh, because a couple is getting separated. So are you, when you say... In this particular example that was evaluated at whatever amount, was that based on a business valuation or was that based on just looking at the financials? We would always do a business valuation um, in most cases. Um, we take a look at the financial statements of the business first to see, okay, does this make sense? Because as you know, business valuations are very expensive. Um, they're time consuming. So we want to be mindful that if we are going to go down that path, that there's going to be a real reason to do it. Um, another great reason why you want to include businesses in a marriage or post-nup contract is because maybe that's another area where we're going to decide how are we going to value this business in the event of divorce? Maybe we're not going to do a full business valuation. Maybe we're going to take a look, look at the last three um, years retained earnings. Maybe we're going to come up with a different formula where it's still going to make sense. It's still going to result in some form of property division, but it's not going to cripple the company. And the reality is it's not good for the family to cripple the company. We, we call it killing the golden goose. Well, we don't want to kill the business that's supporting this family and is going to be supporting this family for the next 30 years, et cetera. So we really have to balance between there's a fairness to the division of property, plus the idea of, okay, this business has to generate ongoing income for this family for the next 30 years. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to throw this over to uh, Minnie because I can see this being contentious because I've heard this having worked with hundreds of men and this coming up quite often is men have this feeling of entitlement when it comes to their business because they are the ones that built it. Even if their wife has been the one that's taking care of the kids, the home, or whatever it is, and some some of the wives are out there working and have their own careers, there's this feeling of, I sacrificed, I was the one staying up late, working long hours, working my butt off, not having a life to build this business because I was doing this for you. I was doing this for your Gucci bags, 
for your vacations, which you loved. And in one tone, I'm saying this because this is common, very common. Mm -hmm. One tone, you're saying, oh, you know, don't work so hard. But on the other tone, you're like, oh, it'd be nice to have this ring or have this vacation. And now you're saying, you know, you're entitled to half of it. Um, I see a lot of resentment on a guy's part from this perspective. So many, what have, have you come across that situation? Oh yeah. Yeah. I hear it all the time. Um, in particular, when I'm um, doing a parenting plan and um, you know, that's when it comes up because I'm working with the parents, I'm working with them, but the resentment around the financial piece trickles into, you know, the issues with the kids because they're both very highly sensitive topics, right? Um, when you're going through a breakup of a, of a marriage. So, you know, the way I kind of put it, and I don't know, sometimes helpful for, for men is you kind of, and, and I'm coming from the children's perspective in this particular scenario where, you know, kind of say, like, think of it this way. We want your kids to, to be happy at moms and happy at dads, right? So if you look at it from their perspective, um, you want kind of an equal lifestyle, right? As much as you can. So you're not really just, you know, dishing over money to her and you work so hard for it. You're trying to create a lifestyle for your children. Now, this isn't a divorce situation, right? So kind of having that mindset of taking care of your family, whether your marriage is intact or not, there's more than just you and your spouse, right? So um, in that particular situation, now, if they don't have children, that's a little bit different, um, in terms of how they, they might view it. But again, can we put a value to uh, women's work, right, inside the home? Like, it, uh, to me personally, I find it invaluable because you're raising the next generation. Not to say that both parents didn't contribute, but it is, um, it, it, it is, it can be. I'm not saying it's always a sacrifice for women to give up their careers often because it makes it makes sense, right? Not financially. They could totally afford a nanny and, and put them in private school, but maybe their values are a little bit different and they find that that's an important decision that they both make. So it really depends on the situation, but I find kind of coming at it with, you know, we want to create two households or to make sure that everybody's taken care of, especially the children. So they're not feeling like, I don't want to go to mom. She lives in a basement apartment and dad lives in a mansion. Like, you know, like, that that's not going to be good for the kids. So if you come at it from a more psychological perspective on what's best for the, for the whole family and the children, that that often does help. It doesn't, you know, take away all the resentment, but it, it it's a, it's an easier pill to swallow in my view when I see clients. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it because lifestyle for the kids is important. And for, you know, we're talking from a guy's perspective. This obviously happens on the other side as well. There's a lot of women who are extremely successful yes. and men, you know, in relationships where men may be just as successful or maybe not. There's a lot more stay at home dads these days. So it, it applies to both sides here. Um, but I, a majority of guys, when we, when we work with men, what we find is that they're doing it for their families. I'm not saying women don't, but their biggest drive. And I think this is the misconception that a lot of women have when it comes to the guys is, you know, they're doing it for themselves. A lot of times the biggest driving factor for a man is his family. If I ask him, why are you working so hard? Why are you doing this? It comes down to the family. Now, there's other underlying beliefs behind that as well, um, but they're they're basically doing this. In a lot of situations, I've seen guys not buy anything for themselves, not do anything extravagant for themselves, but it's the kids and their household or and the wife that that benefit from this. 
I think what you just talked about there is a great way to approach the conversation is to say, you want your kids to continue to have a great lifestyle. Whatever you feel about your spouse, that's a different story. Um, but at least your kids will, will have that. Something, why I say this, because I think this is the most contentious uh, topic when it comes to a post-up, because majority of our audience is they're entrepreneurs, they're business oriented. And so the business is a sticking factor. I see this not only when, uh, let's just say they're talking about a post-up, but even when things aren't going well in a relationship, we see the business suffer. We see the business struggle. We see guys, I've worked with guys that have had massive potential in their business, but they're like, what the heck's the point? Because if I'm going to work my butt off and go home to a crappy relationship, there's no point in me even doing it. So I've seen guys also, and I think they've had more than enough money coming out of the separation. The business was split and the business still had potential to be successful because there's millions of dollars of sitting there and, and retained earnings or sitting in the bank, but they've just let it fall apart. They've just let it fall we apart. We talked about the great last time too around if, if you're, you know, don't have a happy life at home or healthy, I'm not even going to say happy, happiness is relative. Um, that trickles over to all other areas of your life for sure. So having that solid foundation. And although I, I say, you know, couples counseling, it's really important to establish that coming in as an individual to deal with your own stuff of, you know, why do I have these patterns? Why do I get angry about this? And why does this keep happening between my spouse and I? It's like, it's like the same dance and nothing's changing to be able to, and that's insanity, right? We do the same thing over and over again and we expect something different. Well, welcome to marriage. <laughs> so learning how to break the insanity, learning how to change the dance, even as an individual to come in and, and speak to someone. And I would recommend speaking to someone who has a little bit of knowledge of, of family law, like is familiar with it and it's not foreign to them, just, just so they know kind of what what the fears are and kind of you know what might happen um but working through your own stuff your own communication skills honing that so that you can have a better relationship at home is so important like you said Pradeep, a couple of thousand dollars compared to a couple hundred thousand or millions so worth it and then you're just a better person for it right Period. yeah I, I think the thing is it's it's like insurance you don't think you need it but when when you do need it, you're like, oh shoot, I, sh I should have doubled up on that. I should. <laughs> and nobody, yeah. right? Nobody teaches us this stuff, right? Like you can go to school and you and get a business degree. I, I hear they don't teach you much there either, but but you know, nobody teaches us life skills, communication skills. So just matter what age you are and what stage of life you're you're at, we could all learn how to communicate better and how to heal some of our own trauma or our own patterns of behavior right so it all goes hand in hand you can't do one without the other really and function in life successfully right uh, great point there me because i think even through my journey and our relationship my wife doesn't like me talking about it too much but we you know we've spent a lot of time doing some self-reflection and healing on both sides and what we realized was and i've been doing this for a very long time my wife most more recently is that our parents sometimes F, F us up. Their relationship, their dysfunction um, is what we carry on with us. And when we see our spouses reacting a certain way, or our spouse, I should say, hopefully you don't have spouses. Um, um, when we see our spouse behaving a certain way, there's a reason for it. And most, 
most likely that reason does stem from some kind of childhood belief system that was developed or trauma or whatever it may be. So I think coming out of this conversation for me and hopefully the people listening is that if you bring up these conversations and it's not taken well or received well from the other side, there's a reason for it. And whatever that reason be, is, is that we need to be understanding. I'll just share a personal example. When we did, and I might've shared this before, when, when we found out that my wife was pregnant, one of the first things I wanted to do was insurance and a will, because I didn't have one. And I was like, okay, I was kind of lazy. And then that's when we did it. And when we were sitting in the lawyer's office, the lawyer was saying, okay, you know, when, if one person dies, what happens to the assets? And I was like, yeah, obviously it goes to my wife. And then he's asking her and she's like, oh, okay, well, how about I said, I want to go, I wanted to go to the kids. And I was just like, what? And, and the lawyer was just like, okay. And what's the reasoning behind it and stuff like, cause typically when one spouse goes, the assets goes, you know, they, it goes to the other person. It's because in her mind, and she, this is what happened to her was, well, what if we get divorced, you get remarried, you have your own kids and you don't take care of our kids. And I'm sitting there scratching my head thinking, what the heck just happened here? Like, I, I just totally didn't get where this is coming from. And then when we did some probing in the conversations, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what happened in her life, where her father got remarried, had another family, and just kind of not abandoned, but just wasn't there for her and her brother. And so it created this whole system of, of beliefs for her, where unconsciously, that's what she believed may have or may happen to us at some point. So the reason why I share this is this is reality, right? It, it, yeah. As much as we think it's papers and documents, no, it's people and feelings. And a yeah. lot of times experiences, memories, and how we grew up. And that's, that's what's driving all of these conversations. So I'm just going to plug it in there. I highly recommend every, everybody listening to this, reach out to either Minnie or Anna Marie or individuals like yourselves because there's a whole level of, of complexity that we don't understand. Because if guys, if we think it's just signing papers and getting the document done, no, there's a lot more to it. A lot. And I really, and I think how, how that conversation went for you, where you didn't take it initially, I'll call it personally, but you said, you know what, let me take a different view of this. So I'm not going to take it as an attack on me that I'm the bad guy, but let's really sort of figure out what's underneath all of that. And once you sort of do that, you realize, okay, there may be some merit to some of what um, she's saying from her perspective, how can we work through this and how can we reach a point where, you know, we both agree. And in terms of where our long-term goals are, what that's all going to look like by doing a bit more of a deep dive. Yeah, I have to be honest. I did take it personally at the beginning mm -hmm. because it, it, here's something that's also very important to guys out there is character, right? And this is, again, to women as well. But even though, see, this is how we think is even though that may have happened to you, my character is different. You should know me by mm -hmm. now. You should know what I'm about, right? Uh, and so this this is, again, where we we stick with our egos, more than actually understanding the other person's situation. So I just wanted to say, I did feel it at first, but I had to sit back and put my ego aside and say, okay, what's actually driving this behavior? And it's not easy. It's not easy to do. 
I think the good thing is you took that moment to kind of go, where is this coming from? And then realize that was her lived experience. That was reality for her. This wasn't something she's just making up or heard, you know, in movies. And sometimes we hear stories from our friends, right? Well, this happened to a friend of mine. Somebody told me about this. And this is so, so, you know, of course you're going to take it personally at first because in that moment, that's what you're hearing is you're, you're insulting my character. Like, I'm not like that. Or where's this coming from? And then when you reflect on it, it makes more sense of, and again, this is where it's important to have those conversations or discussions about, you know, where's this coming for, for, for you, what was your history? What was your lived experience? And, And the same thing with, with both spouses, right? They're coming from it could have been the opposite for the person, for the other person where their mom took all the, their dad's money, got remarried, <laughs> lived a great life and never had to work again because she's had spousal support for the rest of her life. Uh, I've seen that too, right? So it, we're really all coming from our history and you're right, our core beliefs. And they're not always true, but we believe them to be true. So exploring that with a therapist, with your, you know, journaling, kind of figuring out where am I coming from here is so important. But you took the moment to do that, Pradeep, and I think that is key for, for people to do that, to reflect. Well, I think we all need to do that. I have to do that every single day. <laughs> we all do. We all do. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. sorry, the other lesson that I take from your story is, um, you know, being in the shoes of your wife, um, one idea or option is to offer some of these reasons why before you make the ask. And so we talked about that last time and we talk about that too when, you know, asking your spouse or partner for a post-nap agreement, starting with the whys. So let's start with explaining why this is something that you'd like to investigate, why you'd like to have this open dialogue about it, why you think this might be a a good option for the two of you, Um, and then dive into the, okay, this is a post-nup, this is how we do it, instead of just going home um, from work today and saying, you know, I heard this great podcast. I need a post now. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I was going to say to add on to that is the most important piece is to create that emotional safety. Mm-hmm. So that space where, you know, again, what's the thought from the spouse's point of view is like, are, are, are we going getting divorced? Why is he or she bringing this up right now? What happened? Um, and so it's automatically fear mode and, you know, having a conversation in fear mode never goes well. So being able to build that safety and like, you know, and even just from the, from the outset of the conversation is I'm not leaving you. We're not getting divorced. In fact, I love you very much. And this is what I was thinking about. Or I did hear a podcast and it got me thinking, and this is where I'm coming from. Like Anna Marie said, logical reasons of why this makes sense. Right. And it could be emotional reasons too. Mm-hmm. That's okay. So they're like, okay, this isn't just coming out of the blue because they want to divorce. Cause that's the first thing. Like you said, people take things personally, not understanding where this is coming from. So from the spouse's perspective, they need that emotional safety. They need that reassurance that everything's okay. And in fact, it's preventative because the last thing you want to do is go through a nasty divorce. It's not good for anyone in any way, especially emotionally. So we're being preventative. We're, we're Everyone's going to be taken care of. And I think that's really important. I want to make sure you're taken care of and I want to make sure the kids are taken care of. Um, that's huge, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. So I'm, I'm interested to know what the fourth factor is or what the fourth element is. 
This is a really interesting one and it's happening more and more often. And it's for couples who may have hit some rocky patches in their relationship or marriage. Um, and they will use the post-snap agreement as a way to remediate some of the um, perhaps poor financial decisions that, that have taken place. Or we've had clients who took a very um, significant uh, financial risk in an investment or a business like we talked about, um, and they lost a lot of family money. And so a lot of the trust is now lost between the couple. And one of the things they do is they will sit down and they will put together a post-up agreement that really addresses and deals with some of these um, financial issues that had happened in the past, ways to sort of rectify it in the future insofar as, okay, how is how are we going to get our, our family net worth back on track? Or how are we going to start reaching some of our financial goals after this um, misstep or mistake? Uh, really using it as a learning opportunity to move forward. Um, but because so much trust has been lost with their spouse or partner, they um, will come to us and, and we'll put together a post-snap agreement that will address some of these issues. So we use it as almost a rebuilding tool, which I thought is a very unique um, use for post-snap and probably one most people don't think about when they're sort of in that rocky stage. Yeah, I find that one really interesting because I didn't even think about that. That That is totally, I think it's a really cool use of it. Because we we do see that, especially with entrepreneurial individuals, whether that's men, and that involves taking risk. That's inherent mm -hmm. in being an entrepreneur as a business or business owner. So, and I'm going to share a personal example here. One of the when we first when I first got married, and um, I think it was a year into it or two years into it, what had happened was I think it was at 24 years old I had built a house. It was a business venture. And something, we didn't do something the way it should have been done, although we had done it the right way. We just didn't file the pro proper paperwork. What ended up happening was we were in like a 10-year legal battle with CRA. Mm -hmm. And that was far before my wife came around. So I was 24 years old when this happened. And then I got married at 30 and then went through bigger legal battles and ultimately went to court because we thought we were in the right and we had a great chance of winning. And we lost and I don't want to get into it, but here's what I learned. <clears throat> Excuse me. Don't get into a legal fight with CRA because the rules are so loose that it's easy for it to, you can say, lean towards the CRA side. And it's kind of designed that way. And it's really interesting. So what had happened though, my wife was pissed a, because I had to fork out a certain amount of money and B she also lost some trust because she's like, well, you had to pay this much money. Are, can you even deal with business? Can you even make proper investments? Can you even do this properly? And part of that was also she was being fed that from her side of the family as well. And I was sitting there thinking like, what the heck? You know, I was 24 years old when I started this venture. There was some inherent risk in it. I was younger. I wasn't as mature. I learned a lot from it. Um, and I made some great investments after that. But this one thing bit me in the butt after, and it caused so much, I can say, underlying mistrust uh, in our relationship that perhaps maybe we should have done something like this at that time to address this, this challenge, because that challenge carried forward for a number of years. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and again, I didn't, we didn't really talk about it all the time, but when we did, you know, it really came up, I think in one of the tough conversations we had, it was, it was this one example. It was this one situation because of something I did when I was 24 years old, um, that was impacting not just our financial situation, but our marriage. So, um, kudos to you on that note, because I think for those excuse me, couples, individuals that are struggling with trust, this might be based on finances or a failed business venture or whatever it may be. This, this could be one great tool to use. Absolutely. And um, can I also add in now another um, aspect that we see where um, couples who are struggling or have hit some rocky patches in their marriage, um, ways they shouldn't use the post-mount. And so one common thing that um, we've actually seen is a, a couple who is dealing with um, issues of infidelity and affairs. Sometimes what we'll see is um, the one person will say, uh, okay, we'll, we'll give it another shot. We'll, we'll, you know, give it a try in this relationship, but only if you sign this post-snap agreement, which basically almost puts some form of financial penalty or punishment on the other person for the infidelity or having the affair. Um, a lot of times, and, and I'll, I'll use the, the, um, I'll say men are oftentimes asked to sign these agreements, and I really, really strongly encourage them not to do that. Um, there are a number of reasons why, but usually signing into those agreements, A, it, it's not a, a fair or reasonable financial settlement, even from a legal perspective. Um, but B, and I would sort of turn more to Minnie on this, there's a much um, better way emotionally to deal with um, the trust loss during affairs, the trust loss during infidelity, um, than going to two lawyers to put together this agreement, which is quite unfair. And frankly, if it's a very unfair agreement, um, it's unlikely going to be upheld anyway if it's ever challenged. And so it's really sort of making this agreement, um, using it almost as a punitive measure um, to spouses who, who um, have found themselves in a, a situation of infidelity. Um, and the reality of the situation is it, it doesn't fix the relationship. Um, having the, the man sign this agreement saying, I'll, I'll pay you every, I'll give you everything if I'm ever caught cheating again or something like that. It, it's not, it, it doesn't help the couple get back on track. It doesn't make their marriage stronger. And ultimately, uh, the reality of the situation is it usually takes a couple of years, but they're back in my office getting a divorce. It just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah so I was going to mention pretty like in your last scenario, we were talking about that. But the biggest thing, like, you know, in terms of a successful marriage, one of the biggest things that, you know, John Gottman, who's kind of the group of, of you know, researching couples is repair. So how do you repair a mistake? So doing a post uh, agreement um, in the, the you know last scenario that Pradeep was talking about might have helped repair the, the marriage, right? And by by creating again that safety. But to your point, Anna Marie, that when you're making decisions out of fear or guilt, um, they're not sustainable. They're in that moment. You're absolutely right. So you can put anything on paper that still doesn't create safety for this for the spouse, right? So you have to work on that piece, building the trust, because money's money. Money is a concept. 
uh, it doesn't repair anything. So when we talk about the word repair, it's so important to have that emotional repair and that trust built on, on all sides instead of just creating a piece of paper, because that's all it is. It's, it, money is, again, a concept. It's, it is tangible, but it doesn't take away the hurt or the pain or builds trust, right? Mm. Yeah, great point there, Mindy. Thank you so much. Because, yeah, what we're ultimately talking about here is is going back to those two points is trust and a safe space. That's that's where you have effective conversations and have effective agreements and get alignment. So um, I, I want to thank you too for, <clears throat> excuse me, something's going on with my voice here today, maybe because I've just been talking so much. But I want to thank you too for this because I got extreme value uh, from this. I'm sure people out there listening will as well. So Minnie, I'm going to ask you just quickly again, maybe you can share your contact information in terms of where people can find you if they need your help, which sure, I highly recommend. Sure. Uh, my website is guidingjourneyswithanf.ca, so you can find all my information on there. You can email me or text me um, or, of course, leave a message. Again, that's guidingjourneyswithanf.ca. Thank you so much. And Anna-Marie, where can people find you? Sure. Uh, mlawgroup.ca. Uh, you can check out our website. And we actually have a lot of resources about uh, prenups. It's a very um, big portion of our firm's practice. So we devote a lot of time to trying to educate uh, clients and potential clients on uh, prenups, postnups, all sorts of interesting things. So there's articles, blogs, etc. Um, for people to check out and learn a bit more. Awesome. Thank you. I know that we're going to get a ton of questions coming from this episode. So I encourage you, if you do have questions, please reach out to these uh, lovely ladies or reach out to us with your questions, because most likely we will have Anna Marie and Minnie back on here because I can see this um, in terms of other topics that we'll be able to address here for you guys out there. So I want to thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Family Business with Pradeep Sangha. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, and share this episode with your network. 